The Word of God comes to us from the Old Testament, first of all this morning, the 35th chapter of Isaiah. As we continue a consideration of the roots of the Redeemer, looking at the ways the Gospels introduce Jesus. Isaiah chapter 35, page 582 in your pew Bibles, verses 1 through 10. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow, and a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there. And those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. And now from the Gospel of Luke, his genealogy of Jesus which you will not find if you look in chapter 1 because it doesn't appear until chapter 3. Chapter 3 of Luke, beginning at verse 21, page 833 in your pew Bibles. The baptism and genealogy of Jesus, beginning at verse 21. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Now, Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was the son, so it was thought, of Joseph the son of Heli, the son of Matat, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Jani, the son of Joseph, the son of Matthias, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Esli, the son of Nagai, the son of Maat, the son of Mattathias, the son of Semain, the son of Josek, the son of Jodah, the son of Joanan, the son of Resa, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the son of Neri, the son of Melchi, the son of Adai, the son of Kosam, the son of Elmadam, the son of Ur, the son of Joshua, the son of Eliezer, 
the son of Joram, the son of Matat, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, <clears throat> the son of Jonan, the son of Eliakim, the son of Meleah, the son of Mena, the son of Metata, the son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salmon, the son of Nation, the son of Amminadab, the son of Ram, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Serug, the son of Reu, the son of Peleg, the son of Eber, the son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, the son of Arphaxad, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalalel, the son of Kenan, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. <clears throat> that took a little practice, folks. <laughs> but a reading now from Derek Johnson for Prophet Sunday. Sheep intended for sacrifice in the temple at Jerusalem were pastured five miles away in the hills of Bethlehem. I was one of those simple shepherds caring for the flocks when the birth of Jesus was first announced. Of all the people involved who witnessed that amazing birth, we were the only ones who didn't have to travel to get to Christmas. The angels had come from the other side of heaven the wise men from the other side of the world, Joseph and Mary from the other side of the country. But the shepherds? We bowed at the manger, which was within range of our voices. Christmas came to us. Understand this, we shepherds were considered lowly people. We were at the bottom rung of the social ladder. No one was lower than tax collectors, prostitutes, and shepherds. So why should we be honored with God's good news? Well, the regular townspeople in Bethlehem were too caught up in the excitement of visiting crowds to pay any attention. The innkeeper was busy assigning rooms. Herod was worried about a rival king. The scribes and Pharisees were looking for a military ruler to deliver them from the hated Romans. Would these people care about a baby? wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger, not on your life. So God passed up the important folks and spoke to the ordinary. He shared the news with those who would listen, even lowly shepherds. And God hasn't changed. If you can't come to Bethlehem for Christmas, don't worry. Christmas will come to you. Nothing, I think, captures better the message of Luke's genealogy, that near-endless list of names, quite so well as those last two sentences. If you can't come to Bethlehem for Christmas, don't worry. Christmas will come to you. I would only change one word in that. Christmas will come to you is not inaccurate, but Christ will come to you is much more meaningful. Nowhere 
trust me in this, and I hope to explain it in a minute, nowhere is the intimacy God desires to have with us, his people, more evident than in this genealogy of God's son, our brother. Luke, as you know by now, couples Jesus' genealogy with his baptism. He puts it in chapter 3, not chapter 1. Luke doesn't begin with it, he builds up to it. Now, Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was the son, so it was thought, of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Matat, and then more names. 77 of them in all. Most of them sounding completely unfamiliar. And adding up to, let's be honest and admit it now, adding up to what seems like an annoying interruption in an otherwise interesting story that led up to verse 23 in Luke chapter 3. Luke apparently combines the techniques of Matthew and Mark. He's got lots of names like Matthew did, though Matthew had 42. Luke nearly doubled it to 77. And he ends, Luke does, where Mark begins with the words, the Son of God. You could almost call it an upstairs genealogy. Some of you may be thinking, yeah, you'd like to keep it upstairs and not see it anymore. But I mean ascending, moving up. I mentioned last week the Jewish fascination, even near obsession with genealogies. I explained that a major part of the impetus behind developing these genealogies was a good reason, a good desire, the desire to confirm for myself and convey to others that I, in fact, belong to the people of God. My name's on the book. Today, let me add something to that fascination and tell you that the Jews had for centuries kept such lists. You can find them already in Genesis. You can find some in Chronicles. You can find some in Nehemiah. You can find some in other parts of the Bible. Parents, Jewish parents who had moved out of Israel for whatever reason, made sure that they sent notice of the birth of each of their children to the registry in Jerusalem to make sure their children were on the list. And people like the families of Joseph and Mary, we don't know for a fact that Joseph and Mary did this, but I am quite confident their families made sure that Joseph and Mary were on the list because both sides of their family traced their origin way back to David, to whom God first promised to bring a Messiah. So at least another part of the fascination with names was a desire to keep looking for signs of the fulfillment of God's promise and the coming of Messiah. What is distressing, and at the same time instructive, is that when Messiah finally did come to a people who were that meticulous about keeping records and, and observing all of the protocols for doing so, when the Messiah finally did come and the wise men rode into town, Not even the academicians and experts knew what they were talking about. 
They did all the right things, but without really meaning it. Perhaps yet another list of impossible to spell, difficult to pronounce, and almost totally unknown names, this list given to us by Luke, describing how the Jews were in search of Messiah, will send us in search of him. And perhaps the fact that despite all of their fanatic searching, they didn't see him when he came, God will remind us that much more important than seeking is finding. Remember the purpose for which Luke wrote his gospel, and so therefore this genealogy. In chapter 1, verse 4, he said, that you may know with certainty the things you have been taught. So one of the first things to notice about his genealogy is that it's an ascending one. It goes all the way back up to heaven again. Luke moves from son to father, not father to son. Matthew places his right at the beginning to introduce Jesus. Luke is not introducing Jesus. He's already made the story known. Now he is saying this list validates Jesus as the one his baptism ordained him to be. Luke moves in a different direction. He moves from the present to the past. Luke goes back farther. Matthew went to Abraham. Luke went all the way to God. In Luke's genealogy, the very first name is Jesus. And Luke is not saying, look, I want to tell you where Jesus came from. He's saying right at the beginning, before you read any other names, I want you to meet Jesus. Luke is attempting to convey in as dramatic a way as possible the name and the person you must know is Jesus. You may know all the facts there are about Jesus, but until you've met him personally, you're not home yet. You may be able to trace his lineage all the way back to Adam and beyond that to God. But until you know him yourself, you're not there. You may be intrigued by all the intricacies of first century Jewish genealogical science, but it is vastly more important that you meet Jesus yourself. You may be fascinated by names and numbers and symbols and historical data, but it is much more important that you be fastened to Jesus by faith. It's so easy, and we know it from painful personal experience. It's so easy to get so wrapped up in inconsequentials that we miss the point. And Luke wants to remind us before anything else, before anything else at all, deal with your relationship with Jesus. Commentaries, I can tell you, are full of questions and comments and suggestions and hypotheses and wild guesses, frankly, as to who all these people are in this list and why they made their way there. But Luke's advice right at the outset Meet Jesus. That's the most important thing of all. And I take my cue from Luke this morning 
and urge you before you are concerned about anything else at all. Know and receive Jesus for what he came to be. If you do not yet know Jesus as your Savior from sin and the Lord's Redeemer sent to you, then before the sun goes down today, talk to him about it. If you have not yet asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life and given your life to him to live every minute of it for him, then do that before you go to bed tonight. Meet Jesus. <clears throat> Honestly, Luke didn't do a whole lot to build up our confidence in this list. By suggesting at the very outset, Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was the son, so it was thought, of Joseph. Not only is this an upstairs genealogy, it's a supposed genealogy, which doesn't mean to imply that Jesus really didn't have a family that looked like this, but that he was different from each of these people in a very significant way, and we can thank God for that. He was the son, so it was thought, of Joseph. Uh, there are plenty of people who have seized on that wording and said, maybe we have a solution to understanding this genealogy. Maybe what Luke was doing was really tracing the lineage of Mary and not Joseph. It was supposed he was the son of Joseph. And then he didn't say, but in reality, he's the son of Mary. That would at least solve the problem that when you line up these two genealogies in Matthew and Luke, and you have 42 names from Matthew and 77 from Luke, there are only a few that are duplicates. But I point each of us and all of us this morning to the announcement of the angel recorded in Luke 1, verse 35, when the angel said to Mary, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Might have looked like he was Joseph's son. Some might even have thought he was Mary's son. But Joseph and Mary knew better, and so do we. He was the son, so it was thought of Joseph, but in actuality, he was the son of God. And at this point in our somewhat clinical analysis of this long list of names, seems to me we ought to just stop and close our mouths and drop to our knees in worshipful wonder. This little baby we are picturing in our minds now was really human. And at one and the same time, this little baby was really God. Never forget that this child was only thought to be the son of Joseph. In reality, something far greater than that was happening. In reality, God was coming to rescue us with the greatest miracle the world has ever witnessed. 
This was the greatest display of love ever known. This is in reality not Joseph's son or Mary's son, but God's son. And that's the most amazing wonder of all. Now, while there isn't a lot of Jewish imagery in this genealogy, the way we saw there was in Matthew's last week, there are a couple of things to take note of. First of all, there are 77 names on the list. A list Luke himself says he compiled with exhaustive research. Verse 3 of chapter 1, he said, I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning. Here's a list gleaned from Jewish sources, no doubt. And if you remember anything about last week, you probably remember their fascination with numbers. Now, a list of 77 names, two sevens side by side, almost begs to be described or called a list, 11 lists of seven people each. 11 groups with seven, the number of perfection and completion, with perhaps a 12th entity beside them named Jesus. In both the Old and New Testaments, the number that symbolized God's people was the number 12. 12 tribes, 12 disciples, less one because Judas wasn't really a disciple, but Jesus was a 12th, not disciple, but 12th entity. And if our hunch is correct about that without going into it any farther, then what Luke is trying to portray for us is that Jesus, the one who came from this long line of people, was God's way of pulling together all of his children from the Old and the New Testament because there is only one name under heaven given among us whereby we can be saved. And then perhaps there's a message also in the fact that Luke specifically says Jesus began his ministry about the age of 30. He's saying that to people who knew very well that that was precisely the age of Jacob's son, Joseph, when he became leader of Egypt. That is precisely the age of King David when he assumed the throne in Jerusalem. And since even longer than that ago, since the time of Moses, 30, was the age at which a man was eligible to become a priest. And in effect, this perfect 12, this other who became one of us, began his ministry at the age of 30. As the one the writer to the Hebrews described, he had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. <clears throat> this was a supposed genealogy only in the sense that the man it brought to our attention was greater than any of us ever supposed he could be. And so the list goes on, and on, and on, and on the son of, the son of, the son of, the son of, until it rattles off like almost a mechanical monotony. And then all of a sudden, we are stopped short, not just by the end of the chapter, but by the last words in the chapter. The son of Adam, the son 
of God. And those last words, the son of Adam, the son of God, are a burst of hope into the darkness of this world. Just listen. The son of Adam, do you know who that is on this list? Well, of course it is the one with whom the list began. Jesus. Now just let that sink in for a minute. Jesus is the son of Adam. That's another way of saying the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. That's another way of saying Jesus, our Emmanuel, God with us. It's another way of saying incarnation. It's also a way of saying about as dramatically as Luke could possibly do it, Jesus was God becoming human. The son of Adam. We've lost some of our wonder at that. But here in those words this morning, some of the amazing love of God, a love which words can't even describe, that the creator of Adam would become a son of Adam to bring the other children of Adam back home again. It's beyond comprehension, but not beyond experience. When God inspired Luke to describe Jesus as the son of Adam, he was telling us how far God was willing to go and how close God was willing to come to bring us home. But equally incredible as the fact that the words the son of Adam are used here to describe the son of God is the fact that the words the son of God are used to describe Adam. And therefore you and me and all believers, the words the son of Adam show us how close God was willing to come to us in Christ and the words the son of God show us how close to God we can come in Christ. Children of Adam, all of us who believe, brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ, and children of God, therefore, too. There can be no more hopeful message than this, that Jesus was willing to become human like us to enable us to become like him the son of Adam, the son of God. And now, not out of any disrespect at all, but deep and reverent respect, I say, so what? And may I suggest that in what looked a little while ago like a meaningless list of incomprehensible names, we have a most amazing incentive to mission. The list shows us Jesus' connection with humanity and humanity's connection with him. The tables are turned, and the one we thought at the outset was God is introduced as the son of Adam. And the one we thought at the outset was Adam is introduced as the son of God. What greater incentive is there for us to engage in God's mission to the world than to know that in Christ God became human to bring his children home. 
J. Sidlow Baxter was right when he described the Bible this way. The Old Testament cried, Behold, he comes. The Gospel declares, Behold, he is born. Then the Gospels declare, Behold, he dies. Acts declares, Behold, he lives. The Epistles join in with, Behold, he saves. The Apocalypse finalizes with the Hallelujah Chorus, Behold, he reigns. He is Jesus, first, last, and all the way through. Now, don't you want everyone to know? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you've shown us again in what appeared to be a meaningless interruption in the text, the hope of the world, the love of God, the miracle of salvation. Please help us to see, help us to know, help us to understand, but most importantly of all, help us to come ourselves individually, each one of us, to Jesus and say, you are my Savior and you are my Lord. In his name we ask it. Amen.